Hello, it's your host, Kat Walsh, and you're listening to another episode of Trip On This. This podcast is for mature audiences and is not suitable for young children. Trip On This is intended for entertainment purposes only, and we do not condone the use of illegal substances. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Trip On This. It was such a pleasure speaking with my next guest, Laura Dawn. Laura is the host of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. She's worked with psychedelics for over 10 years, running her own retreats and her own programs. And she is just doing such incredible stuff in this space. She is really focused right now on how we can use psychedelics to create visionary leaders, how we can improve leadership, visionary thinking, creative thinking, And that is actually her focus right now. She's actually going back to school right now to get a degree working within the sciences and creativity and psychedelics. She goes into it in great detail. And as I was listening to her, I thought to myself, this is how we're going to create real change in the world. This is how we're going to tackle the big problems that we're facing. It's not by thinking the way that we have, it's by you know what they say, thinking outside of the box, a complete overhaul of creative thinking, a new way of solving problems. And that is the work that is pulling her. She is going to school for that. And it is just wonderful to listen to her. All I can say is this episode is about leadership and vision and creativity and psychedelics and what it can do for us on the human experience, what we can learn about ourselves how we can be better leaders in this world. And it's incredible. She's so incredibly articulate. I think you guys are gonna learn so much from this episode. I certainly did. It's a treat. So a few things before the episode begins. If you're not following me on socials, please do so. I'll link it all in the description of this podcast. And of course, if you're liking this show, like it, subscribe, do all the things. It is so helpful for me to grow this podcast and send it out to the world. And with that, please enjoy this next episode with Laura Dawn. Laura Dawn, welcome to Trip on This. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to be here with you, Kat. Uh, It's so good to be here with you too. You know, I'm really looking forward to our listeners getting to know you. I know you've been working in the psychedelic space for 10 years, you know, working with your own retreats and, and having your own programs. And you've got your own podcast, like we were just discussing, the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast, and also just... Honestly, like just this conversation we had right before we turned on the record, you were such a lovely human being. And what I was really capturing from from your social media, from the episodes I've listened to, is how much love you have to give. And it really comes across as someone who doesn't know you and can reflect that to you. And I'm excited for everyone else to hear your story, why psychedelics, why you got into this space. So let's do it. Let's get into it. Oh, thank you so much for that sweet reflection. You know, there's so many people throw around the word authenticity these days. And I think it's such a journey that a lot of us are on around, you know, and and talking about the podcast, like I have learned so much about myself through this podcast. And, and I'm sure you will too. And everyone who, you know, really puts themselves out there. It's such a process of actually peeling back the layers and deeply aligning with our truth. And that takes a lot of courage. And I've noticed just slowly and gradually, like the more that I show up on my podcast and in my life and on social media in just real rawness, authentic truth, which is so much easier said than done. You know, there's always that sort of like voice of how is this going to appear? How are people going to judge me? How is this going to come off? And the more I let that, that inner voice sort of fall by the wayside, and I really just show up in my truth, um, just the more I do find that I resonate with my audience and, and the response is really there. And, and it's so interesting too, because I think that that's what, you know, more and more people are looking for the unpolished you know, yeah. less polished. Yeah. It's like one thing to be, you know, high quality, but then there's another thing to just be like, okay, this is who I am. And I think that that's really the definition of authenticity. There's not a difference between who I am behind my business and at the front of my business. It is the same, the same thing and yeah. the same person. God, that is so beautiful. It does take a lot of courage to put yourself out there, especially in this kind of psychedelic space. There's nothing black and white about the topic that we're talking about. And 
I felt myself at one point really not knowing, like wanting to play it safe and really stepping into like, you know what, just say, not everyone's going to like a cat. Just say what's mm-hmm. true for you and be okay with the fact that like, no matter what you say, there's always going to be people that are going to cheer for you. And there's going to be people that are not going to like what you're saying. And like, that's okay. It takes a lot of courage to just put yourself out there, like you're saying, and just, and just say it. And I think, you know, I think for me, and I know for, for just the work, like reflecting back to you, it's such important work that you're doing and really beyond the psychedelics talking about the human experience that we're all going through, because there is such a relatability (laughs) to all of your content and your story, which I know we'll get into that a lot of people can go like, yeah, I might've not had that exact experience, but I can absolutely relate. And just to know that tools like psychedelics are out there to (laughs) help kind of get us through and get us over the finish line. And I mean, if there is a finish line, but you know, like just come into, step into our most authentic self, like you're saying. So why Mm -hmm. don't we start with your journey? Let's start with your background. When did your psychedelic journey begin? And when did you start using them as a healing modality and how you started using them then into conscious leadership? Yeah, well, that's quite a long journey. We could go way back, you know, a couple of decades at this point. But it's funny when people ask me, you know, like, when did you choose to work with psychedelics? And I always kind of have this feeling that like psychedelics and plant medicines chose me. And I really feel that I like to joke sometimes on podcasts that, you know, psychedelics hand raised me and just shaped me into the woman (laughs) that I am today, you know, and I've actually had a lot of stuff come up in my family, which has been interesting to navigate. This is a whole other part of really stepping out and owning your story and your truth. And I've had people, you know, really comment of like, well, what about all that? Like, where was parental supervision? You know, while you were like this young kid running around doing psychedelics and, you know, bless my parents, like everyone's doing the best that they can. And I'm so grateful for the household that I grew up in. No one is free from trauma, family drama, trauma, as I call it. Yep. Um, but, but there was a really strong foundation there. I was raised by two entrepreneurs. I'm the youngest of four kids. My father really instilled in me this belief that if I saw it in my mind, I could create it in reality. He was like my primary teacher around what it meant to be a visionary, And this concept of visionary is really near and dear to my heart. It's so such a big framework of of the programs that I run as well. And so I really see him as, as my first sort of visionary mentor because my dad used to come up with all sorts of crazy entrepreneurial ideas. He would talk about it and then I would watch that idea come into life. And so... I really think that that's a big part of the the work that we're all here to do with psychedelics on a certain level where if we can hold a vision beyond the scope of what we can see in this reality and we connect to that vision and we're inspired and moved by spirit to take action and we transmute that vision into reality, that is creativity in action. That's what it means to be a creative visionary. And I think that that's what we're really being called to do these days. And so my journey really began as, you know, I had my first high dose psilocybin experience. I was about 14 or 15. I was very young and I always had this drive to sort of hurl myself over the deep end to see what was there. And I was always a kid that just beat to my own drum. I was also raised as an athlete. So competing was a really big part of my life. And I would say that was like the other big focus of visionary training, which for me, you know, being a young kid and having very high level coaches teach me about the power of visualization. And I would run through, I was a diver. And so I would spend just as much time running through my dives, like in my mind and seeing myself do that. And now we know, you know, the research is so uh, indicative of the power of being able to use our minds in this way. And this all really does tie into psychedelic I don't want to say use, but the work that we do with psychedelics, because I think that this is what they're here to help us do is think outside the box, which Mm -hmm. I'd love to talk more about. But yeah, my journey really did start more along the lines of quote unquote, recreational use, which I personally do not sort of poo poo upon. You know, I know there's a lot of people in the space who are, you know, it's going in the movement. And in a lot of ways, I think it's amazing that there is a medicalization movement and not everyone wants to, you know, pack a bag and haul down to Peru and sit on the jungle floor or 
have some of the adventures that I've had over the many years, you know, almost 22 years of deep work with psychedelics, where I'm just grateful to still be alive after some of those journeys. You know, now yeah. we don't, we know so much about sense setting. We didn't, we didn't know about sense setting and integration. Even a few years ago, it wasn't, you know, you never heard anyone talk about integration. Now popular like hashtag psychedelic integration is everywhere. So great. So that's wonderful. And in a way, I'm so happy that my journey started before the cat was kind of out of the bag like yeah. it is now, because those journeys shaped me. And I had, you know, many journeys, you know, just, oh gosh, I, I almost like don't want to say it publicly because I feel like it's irresponsible <laughs> to like plant those seeds. But they, th those sort of, yeah, that, that recreational use was very uh, defining for my life path, you know, and I, I also struggled with addiction and depression over the years. I, I always tell people like, get through your teens. 20s are better, but 30s are even better. Yeah. And it keeps getting better. And, you know, being a teenager is hard. And in 20s are hard, especially in our world that we live in now. And I, I did go through some really tough times. And those experiences doing these high dose journeys where I was out in nature and I could look up at the universe and feel, wow, there's so much more than just this tiny story of me that I'm so wrapped up in. And where I would have these experiences of, you know, psychedelics taught me how to, how to see the humor in life and really taught me what it meant to, to just laugh at the irony of it all. And I'm so grateful for that, that kind of shaping and that perspective. And so I, I've always felt like plant medicines and psychedelics have helped me understand what it means to live and lead outside the box. Yeah. And I spent many years living outside of living out of a backpack and traveling all over the world, experiencing a lot of different cultures, spending a lot of time in Asia and doing a, a lot of psychedelics in, in mm -hmm. Asian countries, which is a total psychedelic <laughs> experience, even in and of itself. And having just these really radical experiences that have shaped the way that I approach life. You know, we were talking you know, right now, I, I live in a, in a 20 foot long bus converted into a tiny home. I also spent years living out of a van before, you know, hashtag van life was even a thing. Right. And, and really just what, what do I want to do? What is my definition of success? What is my definition of happiness? And I think now, you know, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life for over, gosh, you know, ever since I was a kid, that was part of the upbringing in my family, kind of going back to the beginning that, you know, I, I remember pitching my first business idea when I was about eight or nine. And that was the, the encouragement, you know, we would have these Sunday family dinners and by dessert, it was like, okay, what's your, what's your idea? Put wow. it on the table. Mm -hmm. And my mom also really planted that seed. She said, you know, I trust your judgment. And that I think was one of the biggest influences in my life between my, my father always saying to me, no matter what you think you can create in your mind, you can create in reality. And my mom always saying, you know, I trust your judgment because she watched me. We were really close. We still are very close. And she watched me go through a lot of hard times. And I actually, in high school, I decided to stop going to school and I just didn't want to do the, the thing that everyone was doing. And so I asked my mom and I said, hey, I want to get a tutor and have, you know, one week, basically one hour a week was equivalent to going to school for five days for that class because school was so inefficient. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was just so over, I was like, wow, I don't want to sit here while the teacher's just like yelling at other people the whole time. Like I have a life to live. Yeah, I got my wow. driver's license. Van life. Yeah. Right. And my mom supported that. And I'm so, so, so grateful for that. You know, mm -hmm. she would see me skipping school and she'd be like, I trust your judgment. You know, if you want to be doing this, like I, how can I support you? And I think that that was incredibly shaping and powerful for who I am today. Wow. I mean, first of all, wow. Thank you so much. And I, I just going back to even the recreational aspect, you're right. Like there was no, the talk of mental health and all this stuff. I'm like, this is, if it's been going on, I haven't known about it. Like this is fairly new, relatively new, at least for me before my experience were just. I don't know, like we're going to have psychedelic experiences and expand our minds and see what happens a little bit, just a little bit of an adventurous side that was curious to see beyond and understanding and, and really having like that, that first feeling of connection to something greater than myself, not understanding it quite yet because I had my first experience <laughs> at 16 and being like, I don't know what's actually like 
going on right now, but it was challenging me in like a beautiful way, like a, a, a mm-hmm. way that obviously ways that challenge myself and that were so much deeper, but God, like coming back to your story and your, and your, to have parents. I mean, I really believe that we choose our parents in, in our lifetime. And I can see for the journey that you've lived this wanting to be on the road and being, being free, ultimately being free that you had parents that really trust you. I mean, that's the one thing you almost never hear from kids that is their parents saying, I trust your judgment parents are constantly trying to think that they know what's best for their kids. And what a beautiful blessing for her to allow you to go through the ups and downs, the trials and errors, allowing you to have these different experiences because, and look, for everyone who has just heard you, I think your instinct was right about tutoring. You're so incredibly articulate and to have the a visionary mind is very different than the mind that we're taught out here. We're not taught to be visionaries. We're taught to be workers. And it's so beautiful to already instinctually come into the world as a visionary, to have parents who thought that way. And now with your podcast, working with other leaders and visionaries to help foster that kind of thinking is what we need in the world to create change. And so what I would say, my it's a kind of a nice segue into for you, what are some of those hallmarks of good leadership and how are you working with psychedelics to foster those qualities? Yeah, well, this, I mean, gosh, how much time do we have? <laughs> this, this is such a, it's such a huge question, but I, I appreciate that question so much. And, you know, part of the reason I started the podcast was because I, I don't really consider myself an expert in anything except my own experience, you know, and I have been leading retreats for about 10 years now. I built a retreat center here on the big island of Hawaii, and we sold it a couple of years ago after the volcanic eruption. And now that I've been much more public and, you know, I really stepped out of the psychedelic closet very publicly only, I think, three years ago at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing a lot of underground work, mostly, you know, with this. The, I mean, and we still have to be so, so careful about what yeah. we talk about, you know, yeah. publicly. So I've been running my retreats in Costa Rica, which has been amazing. And yeah. And so for me, it's like I wanted to launch the psychedelic leadership podcast because I wanted a front row seat to my own education. I wanted to curate my own education and be able to talk to some of the most brilliant minds in the space. And that's really been an amazing opportunity. And even saying like, yes, like I give myself permission to do this and go for it, you know, like you are where you're reaching out to people and, you know, gosh, I've had so much rejection from people being like, who the fuck are you? Like, no, I don't, I don't have time for you, you know? And so, and that's, that's real. But then there are people who say yes, and that share their, their hearts and their minds with me. And One of them has been Charles Eisenstein, who's been a huge influence in my life. You know, he wrote Sacred Economics and I've talked to people like Dennis McKenna and I just had a second interview with Dennis the other day. And, you know, and I bring up Charles because one of the things that he said really struck me and it was about leadership. And it's also the way that I feel very strongly about leadership where he said, you know, being a podcast host or having a big social media following doesn't inherently make you a leader. What makes you a leader is being able to step outside the conventional belief system Mm -hmm. and take a stand for something that is outside of the conventional wisdom of what we believe to be true. Mm -hmm. And we are in this such this interesting time where we're more polarized and divided than ever before. We're moving through this, this immense portal of transition as a global humanity. No one is immune to it. I mean, like, look at the pandemic. We're all in this boat together. And so the way that I really think about leadership is being able to connect to this vision that inspires action and we can rally other people to move towards this shared vision. And so, you know, having the courage and the vulnerability to be able to say, I take a stand for this. And especially, you know, how hard that is to do in the psychedelic space. There's so much judgment that gets thrown around Mm -hmm. in the psychedelic space, whether Mm -hmm. you're pro-synthetic, anti-synthetic, pro-medicalization, you know, pro, I mean, it's like, all of these big topics are really big. It's yeah. fairly unpopular to be a white woman in the space talking about ayahuasca, you know? So I, it's, it's, it's definitely the path of fire mm-hmm. and, you know, being an entrepreneur my whole life, I mean, 10 years ago was such a different situation than it is now. Like yeah. 
people used to say to me even 10 years ago, like, wow, I cannot believe you live the way you live. And today people are leaving the cubicle by the thousands. Yep. So it is a different era. Like there is this really ripe moment of change. And yet we're still rooted in such old narratives of judgment and and so to be someone who's willing to be a leader, to live and lead outside the box, and we have to radically change, I think, you know, the way we're even defining leadership and taking a stand for what we believe in. And we we don't have to, you know, co- try to convince anyone of anything or say we're right and you're wrong. This is what I believe and I'm trying to convince you of, yeah. you know, my beliefs. But just being able to very humbly take a stand and stay centered on, okay, this is what I take a stand for in my life. And without also, you know, trying to like grip the shit out of it, where you're just like, oh, I'm clinging to this belief. This is all the lessons that psychedelics have taught me over the years of like, can you take a stand and hold it lightly, stay flexible and fluid and adaptable and be ready to pivot and ready to admit, Hey, you know what? I'm going to evolve past this belief system Mm -hmm. because it's time. And I acknowledge that that was, you know, a belief that I was working with. And now I'm, I'm going to have the courage to say, I'm going to leave that behind and step into a new way of thinking. And this is all qualities of leadership, not to mention you know, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown's work. So, you know, vulnerability, courage, being able to put yourself out there. And when we create something and now, so now we live in this very interesting time where tons of entrepreneurs are putting together offerings and stepping out with an offering, that's a form of leadership. And it takes a huge amount of courage and and vulnerability to say, I created this. I'm going to put this on the table. Is anyone else interested in, in working with me in this way? And being able to stay authentic in that process and do it for the right reasons and get clear on what our values are and align with a vision that's embedded in the values that we take a stand for. And then where psychedelics come in are are just the amazing research and like, thank God for all the research that's happening right now, where we know that the research shows people who go through psychedelic experiences have greater degrees of empathy, more openness to new experience that's that ties into creativity as well so we know there's the big five personality traits one of them is openness to experience it's good as a leader to self-assess and do these uh, you know you can do online self-assessment quizzes like where do I fall on the big five personality traits and having being openness to new experience is a great quality for a leader to have And we know now from the research out of Johns Hopkins University, Roland Griffiths did a study to show that one one psilocybin journey that fundamentally changed people's personality and made them more openness to experience. And the reason that that's so profound is because we tend to get more rigid and close to new experience as we get older. But when we stay open to new experience, first of all, we're able to find common ground Mm -hmm. amongst division. We're able to say, oh, Kat, you disagree with me on this, but I don't have to attack you for that. I can stay open to your belief system, your perspective, and be like, hey, you know, we can still be amicable and find common ground. It builds bridges where there's division and polarization. I mean, and I could go on and on. Openness to a new experience also is a hallmark of creative thinking, creative problem solving. It helps enhance our self-awareness, you know? And so, for example, so these two things that I just mentioned, empathy and openness to new experience. I like to think of it as like psychedelics. When when I get interviewed a lot these days about, you know, psychedelic leadership, people ask me all the time, can psychedelics make you a better leader? And my response is usually no, not necessarily, you know, because psychedelics amplify what's already there. So I kind of want to step back a second and say, okay, what we know about set and setting is really important. Set referring to mindset and setting referring to the environment, the container that we're journeying in. So my theory and philosophy and the work that I, that I build upon is leveraging what we know about set and setting And set really is all that we are, our attitudes, our beliefs, our intellect, you know, all the ways that we show up. It's it's like the the totality of who we are. So do I think psychedelics can inherently just make you a better leader? Maybe, but maybe not. It could also increase narcissistic behavior. It can increase neuroticism, you know? So what I propose is that we look at what's already there, like 
there is a tendency for psychedelics to increase nature relatedness, pro-social behavior, openness, creative thinking, more uh, progressive over authoritarian views, greater declines in financial gain, you know, less, less drive towards like financial prosperity. So let's look at what those openings naturally are and let's leverage that opening with training, with education, with preparation and integration. So if we can create an environment where, you know, that's the direction of where my retreats are going, let's bring people together for team building, for leadership training, for creative problem solving. And let's really leverage these very powerful tools that are sort of like Swiss army knives that we can use in a multitude of ways so let's get more conscious about the way that we're, we're leveraging those openings that can be there for people, like that increase of empathy, that increase of openness. Mm-hmm. And let's leverage especially those windows of heightened cognitive flexibility. More, the brain is more plastic yeah. in those days after the psychedelic experience. And let's prime the brain for those experiences by doing trainings in the months leading up And then let's have these experiences and then let's leverage that time to catalyze transformation because that's the name of the game these days. Everyone is looking for some kind of transformation. And when we can really codify that, and that, that was something that actually came through before this mastermind, this notion of codifying transformation, codifying breakthrough. And can we really get granular about what it takes to embody the leaders that we want to be. And so I weave in mindset training. I weave in somatic embodiment training, you know, embodied leadership training with team building practices and all of these different sort of, it's almost like building blocks that we can combine to make something much more phenomenal than the sum of its parts. And then yeah. that's really my, my approach. And that's sorry, a very long-winded answer no, to oh your God, question, there's, but there's so, I was, could go on. Oh my God, it was so good. There's so many points. I had, I wish I was like writing down a zillion notes because I had things, but honestly, like just even coming just right to the last thing you said, it's such a smart idea to literally think about how you can prime the brain, right? To look, psychedelics are going to do what they want at the end of the day, but there is a level of if there's something on your mind, if there's something going on, right, before you go into any kind of an experience, it generally comes up, right? Like in your experience, if that's not like an intentional thing, if you got in a fight with somebody, if there's something that's been heavily weighing on you and you go into a psychedelic, that is going to be the thing that tends to come up in the, in the experience, especially if you don't want it to be. So the idea of giving yourself a little bit of a, a roadmap of where you would like, where you would like to go, especially if it's, not like a a huge, huge journey. I think something like ayahuasca or something is going to just kind of take you on the ride that you need. But if you're working with something like psilocybin and it's not that heavy and you are really like, yeah, like these are the areas that I want to focus on. These are the qualities that I want to focus on. Openness to change. I mean, that is psychedelics has changed my mind. Like I know Michael Pollan's how to change your mind in so many different ways. And I'm so grateful for it. And I love the way the, the courage and the vulnerability and the flexibility to say, to change your mind at some point and to be very okay with it. This isn't like in politics where it's like, you have to agree with something for like what, 15 fucking years. And then you get hit for it a zillion years later. I'm like, that's not the way that human beings grow and evolve anyway. The, if I had to kick it back to what I believe 10 years ago to today, that would be horrifying for me. Like there's so much has changed and there is such to me a celebration of being like, of listening and being able to change your mind and to to hear different perspectives, like you're saying. And it would be great if that, you know, and, and judgment, right? Like it, it, it certainly makes me less critical. It takes away the critical minds when I'm on a psychedelic trip. And the hope is that we can actually get there with the psychedelic community. Cause you're right. It is very polarized still ironically, even though it's a really such a unifying experience in many ways. And, you know, I know for myself, like I stand very squarely in the middle, which I'm sure at some point I will hear about that too, where I'm like, I think whatever you need to heal is fine. I have no problem with the medical side because I think people are only going to benefit from the medical. And Mm -hmm. I have, and I think ceremonies and, you know, more of a traditional model should absolutely be there because people want to heal that way with shamans. They want to you know, be, you know, pulled from the ancestral wisdom of things. 
And look, I have had the most healing times of my life, having so much fun with my friends in the backyard, listening to music, bonding, because I get to feel what human connection feels like and to not feel alone and separate. And all of those are valid. And so for me, I'm like, look, I understand like if some people are like, it can't be used for fun. And I'm like, I humbly disagree. And that's okay. Like you're saying, like holding your center is going to be, that's the dance with all of this. That's what makes it fun and challenging. And that's where I think the growth opportunity comes from, certainly for myself. And I'm sure for you, if you're talking about it is, is staying in your, I'm going to say staying in your power and not like a, a harsh way, (laughs) but just staying in your power and like, it's okay that not everyone agrees. And it's okay that if there's projection on you to allow them to have that space and just to honor their opinion. If right. That's well, I think, back, I think it's, it's again, one of the things that I feel like I've, I've mentioned, but just will reemphasize is that, you know, psychedelics don't inherently make you a better person. Yeah. And so, and there's this great quote, gosh, I can't remember who said it and I'm probably going to botch it, but it's something along the lines of, you know, these, these psychedelic experiences are like being helicoptered to the top of the mountain where you're at the top. It's like this mystical experience where you erroneously believe that you just did all the work to get to the top. Yeah. So I, I, and so therefore the people, which I know the people too, who are like, what you shouldn't take psychedelics because you should meditate your way to enlightenment. And I'm like, great, both and, you know, let's both end. So I find those experiences really helpful to get to the top of the mountain. And then I consciously look down and think, oh, okay, wow, look at how I've been doing it down there. Like I could take that route would be maybe a little bit more like path of least resistance. And and you get that bigger perspective, but that's why integration is not like a two day in the following days after this psychedelic experience. This is the medicine path is a way of life. And so I do think that it is sort of ironic to see that there is division in the psychedelic space. But I do think it's because of what I'm speaking to is that a lot of people are sort of helicoptered to the top of the mountain and those roots are shallow, you know, and it takes years and years. Transformation transpires over decades. Mm -hmm. You have one big psychedelic journey and you feel like, wow, I've hit the mother load. I now know that, you know, what everyone else does not know. And therefore, you know, and so that's where that's so easy for this powerful tool, Swiss army knife to all of a sudden switch the blade of narcissism or ego inflation. And so we have to be super conscious about the work that we do. And God knows I'm still on my path, you know, I mean, there's things. And so, and I think the more that we realize that, you know, psychedelics, don't change you in the sense that it's a relationship. Mm-hmm. We, if you give your power away and you, you know, and, and this is also another really powerful thing that like, when we go to the altar, I think a lot of people have this, this sense. And I think a lot of people approach microdosing this way where it's like, Oh, this pill, or I'm at the altar, like fix me, give it to me. Like, how mm-hmm. can you heal me? Where it's like, that's very disempowering mindset. Yeah. And that mindset actually influences our experience. What I think from just my personal perspective is more empowering is a, I I have the power to heal myself and thank you for helping me in this journey and more along the lines of not what can you do for me, but like, how can I serve this medicine? How can I, how can I be a vehicle for transformation for the people around me and be on my path, walking this path so that I can help the awakening of humanity, which is no small deal right yes. now. And we're in like the, the 11th hour right now. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, I think those like very just small mind shifts actually make a big difference in how we show up and do this work with other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. You had mentioned something in another podcast about unlearning that psychedelics in many ways have been, has been the process of unlearning. Can you talk about what that, what that means and like for both for you and what are some of the things that, you know, even from on a leadership side, what can we maybe afford to unlearn as we step into this more conscious world? Yeah, that's such a good question. Well, I did, I did go to business school. I have a degree in business. And so, you know, it was so interesting to be in this parallel track. Right. So there's like, my journey was not really like this linear and that's kind of our healing journeys and our path of awakening is never just like this, like linear place. It's more like this messy story that we try to make sense out of. 
but yeah, part of, of being a part of the household that I grew up in as well was, you know, if you're going to be living under our roof, you first of all have to be competing in a sport and you have to go to school. And whether I, however I wanted to do that, you know, in terms of like getting an education, but education was really important in school. So I never really considered doing anything else besides going to business school because that was, you know, my, my whole upbringing was yeah. like, okay, I'm an entrepreneur. My parents yeah. are entrepreneurs. And so it was interesting though, because during that, during the university years, I had kind of stepped back a little bit from really working a lot with medicines and I was drinking more and I started dabbling it more in like cocaine and other things that were like just the party of being in university. And I was like going to classes in economics and I all, I have a degree in finance and entrepreneurship. So I was like starting to invest in the stock market and my mind was just, it was so like indoctrinated in this way. And I was more depressed than ever before. I was so unhappy. I had hit this rock bottom moment where I kind of had my first out of body experience. I was really struggling with depression and also with bulimia and using food as a coping mechanism to just like make sense out of my unhappiness. And I was on the fast track of success. I was really graduating at the top of my class. I was in a very sort of quote unquote elite program with eight other students where I was managing a million dollar portfolio at a young age. And I was so unhappy. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure. I was so, yeah. And so it was like, oh, you know, I was being cherry picked by the biggest companies in Montreal to go and work as a portfolio manager. I mean, at my age, then, you know, I was outperforming most other portfolio managers in my industry. And it was a lot of stress. And so I remember hitting this moment, I was crying on the bathroom floor and I had sort of my first out of body experience where I saw myself and I just heard this voice very clearly said to me, this does not have to be your choice. Wow. This does not have to be your life. And it was like, I just stopped crying. And it was like, okay. Oh. Oh. I was like, back away. Cause I definitely have always had that like competitive spirit. So whatever I'm in, I'm like, I want to be the best at it. So, you know, I go into finance and I'm like, I'm going to be the best at this. And I just get so sort of like sucked in. And then it was this moment of just like backing away, like, okay, just let it go. And I decided to literally, I packed a backpack. I gave away everything that I owned. And right after I graduated, I left Montreal and I never went back. And I've been on the journey of a lifetime and I still feel like it's one that I'm on. And I traveled all over the world and I did quite a lot of psilocybin and LSD in those two years, specifically two, three, four years after mm-hmm. school. And I have journeys of, you know, with my, my ex-partner, I won't get into that whole story, but it was just such a synchronistic divine alignment. The way that we met, you know, he picked me up hitchhiking one day in British Columbia. I hitchhiked what? across BC oh and then literally I didn't see him for six months. And then six months later, I like literally physically bumped into him in Thailand. And I was like, holy shit, like we met like that day that, you know, and we ended up falling in love and we spent years of our lives together and we journeyed really, really deep. And I remember these, oh gosh, I just, I want to like tell you some of these stories. Oh my God. I am just so delighted by the story. I can't even take it. Okay. Keep going. (laughs) And and it's so funny because so we traveled and we were backpacking for just some, some years together. And I I traveled with him for some time and on my own as as well for quite some time. And uh, there was this one moment where we met this other couple, you know, when you're like on the backpacking routes, you kind of like there's circuits that people Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, go to the same places. And we were in Thailand on the islands of Thailand and we met this couple and uh, they said, okay, go to this island go find this Thai man, like follow these directions. They drew us out a map and they said, don't even question it. Just go and ask for two tickets to the moon. And so we were like, game on, you know? And then, and then we had traveled. We kind of like, we kept traveling. And then we did like a couple of months later, we went to this Island. It was all there, like go to the end of the road. And then after you get there, keep going further, further, further until you go to like the last bungalow. And there was this little old Thai man. And we were like, um, two tickets to the moon. (laughs) And he like goes in the kitchen and he comes out with this really potent mushroom tea. And so we sat down and we drank it and it was that journey. This is such a roundabout story to get to this moment of that was like one of the fundamental journeys of like deprogramming my mind. Mm -hmm. And I was alone with my partner on this incredible beach 
And we journeyed, we journeyed hard for like, it was like almost a 20 hour journey. And mushrooms? And it was really, really strong journey. (laughs) And so, I mean, and I've had some really, really long LSD journeys with him too, where we were like for like 30 hours going for it. You're like, are we, is this it? We're going to stay in this world for... (laughs) I know, I know. And so it was on that beach that I just remember like grieving and like purging. Like I felt like my mind was like defragging, like all this information about the stock market and, and like (laughs) economics and just like the, I had started really digging into not like, I mean, back then conspiracy theories were a different thing than it is now. You know, we were starting, I was starting to watch about like, oh, understanding like what the Fed reserve is and how money was like really working. And it was starting to be this like parallel education where I I had to really unlearn a lot of what I learned in school, you know, and how competitive it was and this like competitive nature of myself that just wasn't actually genuinely who I was. And it was that journey that I'll never forget. I sobbed on the beach of just like, praying for my healing and that I didn't have to be indoctrinated with this belief system that was handed to me, like forced upon my brain is how it felt, you know? And that was an incredibly profound journey and a big part of, of the, the, the unlearning. And that had a big influence in my life in terms of how I look at, you know, what we're sort of indoctrinated with in our culture and in our society and I've had other journeys like that too with ayahuasca specifically where I was like, wow, I felt like it was like defragging my psyche on a certain level. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when it comes to leadership, I think, you know, yeah, I think, I think honestly, uh, Brene Brown's work has been such a huge influence for me because she is by definition, you know, she's very psychedelic, you know, mm-hmm. in the sense of her whole, what she takes a stand for, because for me, psychedelic is really just like flipping the narrative on its head. Yeah. So she's talking about all the things and her research has been such a huge influence in the programs that I'm creating and teaching about what full circle to what we started with, you know, what it means to be a leader that can embrace vulnerability and to be honest in our approach and that it's not this wall and this, this, these layers of protection, you know, huge influence in Brene Brown's life has been Pema Chodron and Pema Chodron has been my primary spiritual teacher for many, many years. Mm. That lineage of Tibetan Buddhism, I would say has been just as influential for me and has been like my sort of like real companion guide Mm -hmm. on the path of psychedelics. And I've been very deep in, in those teachings for about 15 years and I don't think I would be where I'm at on my path now without those teachings, yeah. fundamental foundational integration instructions, even though, you know, Pema's never sat with ayahuasca or, you know, yeah. it's not her, but, but it's such a parallel track. And it, it's been interesting to just see the way that that body of, of teachings has also influenced Brene Brown's work, who's one of the world's leading experts in leadership. And so, yeah, I think, you know, feminine leadership, looking at how to, hold our center and embody sort of the yin yang of leadership and not moving and swinging in the other direction, but really just like, okay, what does centered leadership look like? What is transformational leadership? What is leadership now? The the most powerful leadership trainings we know as transformational leadership, resonant leadership, all of these put relationship at the core that people are not just a fucking number just to make you money that actually people have feelings. And it's like, wow, you guys are just figuring this out now. Yeah. Like this is just like, you know, and so training in emotional intelligence is a huge part of understanding the power of influential leadership. And I think, yeah, looking at what the vision is that we're cultivating. And for me, my whole, everything that I dedicate my life to, why I speak on podcasts, why I show up every day, besides the fact that I just, I love speaking and I love writing and I love creating the content is is that I truly believe that psychedelics can help us collectively find solutions to the greatest challenges that we face. And there's, what else are we here? What else are we doing yeah. right now? You know, yeah. fires are burning the planet. Yep. You know, like if we're just sitting, it's, that they might be our best shot, you know? Yeah. So it's like, and that's why, because I'm on a, a forced retreat sabbatical due to COVID, I jumped on the opportunity to actually go back to school, which I never thought I would do, 
but I really believe that. So I'm, I'm taking, um, I'm in a master's in science and the program is called creativity studies and change leadership. And so my sort of three big things that I'm really deep diving deep into is understanding the, the intersection between leadership, creative problem solving and psychedelics. And that's what I'm focusing my master's project on. And, and it's, it's, and I truly believe that this is unexplored territory and that there are more people starting to talk about it, but I feel so passionate about being at the forefront of this conversation and creating content at the forefront of this conversation and programs and teaching and speaking and to be a female voice in the space, because that's a big discrepancy, whether we like it or not, there are more male leaders and women are still earning, you know, 75 cents to the dollar in the boardroom, you know, and there are still 90% you know, depending on the industry, huge, huge male dominance in leadership and psychedelics are so feminine. So feminine. They're so, so feminine, you know? Yeah. The the qualities, the open, what you were saying, like the openness, even like a, a gentle leadership, like the, the idea of force and being like tough and, you know, just that whole paradigm, I feel like is shifting. And people do better work for people they like. First of all, it's, you know, being the boss that is just, that is ruling by fear. That's the old paradigm. That's what I think is shifting out. I think that's what psychedelics are shifting out is the program of fear is going to start becoming unraveled, you know, fear at the heart of everything. And that, that is for me, the biggest unlearning of all is, I didn't know yeah. how how much I've been taught to just be afraid. There's just a, yeah. such a fear amount. It's just such an, an overload. And that is the unlearning of like, wait, like, you mean like I can trust that I'm going to be okay? I can trust yeah. that there is, that I'm being guided, that I'm being guided along my path, that I can trust, that I can actually choose love in every moment over fear. And that that's going to be actually in my best interest because fear would have yeah. that it's not, but it, but it's, it's just not true. And I think as it breaks down the fear mechanism, it just that program. Yeah. And yeah. How that's and I don't think you ever arrive, you know, like I'm yeah. still right now. I don't know if you know this cat, but uh, Instagram has deleted my account and I've spent years and oh. years building that up. Okay, I just and looked so, at it. I was going to ask you about it before this. I was just, I was going to look at your stuff and just be like, what she post today? See if I wanted to bring it up. I, I know. Was like, Did they delete her it's, account? It's a gun. So I've been like rooted in my fucking like tr- trust and surrender, trust and surrender. <laughs> it's going to be okay. You know? And so, and of course, so it's like, you never arrive. You know, I went through the volcanic eruption two years ago, that was a huge, like shaping of who I am and learning how to trust and learning, you know? And I I would say even right now, it's like, I I feel like I am navigating it pretty well with this moment of like, wow, Instagram can just like flick a switch and poof, you're gone, you know? And you have so many followers. I am so sorry. That is. And so I'm, I'm just like, huh. Okay. So, but psychedelics teach us adaptability flexibility. Okay. How do we pivot? How can I get creative? How can I figure out like another way to, to do something meaningful here? And maybe this does need to happen because, you know, a lot of people are getting censored right now. And I'm like pretty vanilla on the, like, (laughs) I'm like not uh, super radical, but I do, I did just post just last, I don't know, maybe a few posts before they deleted me. I took a screenshot and said, hey, FYI, you guys, like Instagram is now censoring hashtag microdosing mm-hmm. and this is fucked up and we really should, you know, like look at this. And I even kind of cracked a joke and like poked fun at Instagram. And I was like, maybe who wants to like run a retreat for these guys so that we can like, you know, yeah. get the drink, drink a cup. Let's talk yeah. after, you know? <laughs> yeah. And 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 so I, I don't know if they're, I just don't know why, I have no reason. They say that I violated the terms, but I've been emailing them for a week now. So I'm so sorry. Hopefully these are crazy times, you know, but yeah, but you said something earlier, you know, about like the, the, and I was talking earlier too, about like the yin yang of, of centered leadership. Right. And so for me, like 
we, I think right now, okay, so I'm running this mastermind program and this woman was just so amazing. She's an older woman in my group. And she said something about the feminist movement. She was like, you know, back when, when the feminist movement in the sixties and seventies was really starting to happen, it wasn't women embodying divine femininity. It was women proving to that they could be like men. And I was like, wow, that is so, that really just like struck me so much. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that we, that this is the difference between right now that the balancing act, it's not trying to prove or overcompensate on one side. And so and that's where, you know, the Tao Te Ching and like so much of these Eastern philosophy principles are so foundation in how we pave a new way for leadership. Because fundamentally, I think the training of our time now is that we can be strong and kind. Yes. You, you can be strong, have clear boundaries and communicate with kindness. You just being strong doesn't make you have to make you a jerk. Exactly. You know, and that this is the, the sort of, fine tweaking that I think is going on right now in the realms of leadership yeah. and the realms of people reclaiming their sovereignty. And it's a big part of actually my message is actually taking a stand for what you believe in, in rooted in kindness, which I'm like, wow, are we still, you know, we're still needing to get these teachings right now. Yeah. It's sad, but, but it's, but it really does feel like there's a big push for that. And the more that like, like yourself, like even in the moments where if you are feeling the heat on one side to stay in that love and that kindness, the truth is like everyone needs a hug. Nobody is fighting. And, you know, it, 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 it's such a it's such a time of pain that you would think if everybody was just a little bit kinder to one another, how much how much better their day to day would be like, but I know that people are just get so caught. And that's what I'm hoping again with this whole psychedelic movement that it, it shakes you a little bit in a loving way, a loving shake. Like you don't have to fight all the time. You don't have to, you don't have to do this again. You don't, you can actually, I I find that like the, the best leaders. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but when I've had a few encounters with like top CEOs. Like I used to work in uh, entertainment and I remember I worked at the studios before I worked at a large talent agency. And a couple of times I ran into the, the heads of the studio. So kind, so kind. Like they didn't have anything to prove actually. They were at the very top. They had the vision of the studio. Like it was even beyond mm. the heads. It was like the, the owners, like, and they were so kind, but it was the middle group mm. that was the toughest. That was so like, it just self-importance, but also fearful and this combination <laughs> of like self-importance and fear. And I've had to be yelled at for this many years. Therefore, I yell at you for this many years. Like it's, it's just somewhere somebody needs to 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 break in. And what's interesting is I, w- I would watch it from like I was an assistant at this time, like from a from the perspective. I'm like, the thing is, I'm not seeing the promotion of that middle person who's not, who's not gaining the respect because they're not being kind. They're not being nice. People don't like them. People don't want to work with them. People don't want to follow them. You need to be a leader that people want to follow at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And so what was happening is that they would just hire from the outside visionary leaders to come in. And I'm like, there's no kind of like what you're tackling. There's no vision. There's no leadership training. They're not taught to be leaders. They're not yeah. taught yeah. to be in that. They're, they're workers. You know, mm-hmm. they're not taught the skills of what it's like to, to be respectful, to listen to the people that are working for you, to manage teams properly. Like, not mm-hmm. enough. Not enough. Mm-hmm. And I hope that that continues to, to shift as we go forward. Mm-hmm. Do you think Paul- send them my way? Yeah, right. Team building, I team def- building offsides. I definitely yeah, will. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> can we can we get like politicians now too? Can we get like politicians yeah. to just like I don't know, take some magic mushrooms and have a good time? Oh yeah, yeah. Before the uh, the last election, I wrote this article: ten science backed reasons we should spike the presidential punch. Oh my god, that would be perfect. Can you imagine? I mean, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a good kind of initiation. Um, But then I did, it was interesting because I did get a few people saying that that argument that I even I said earlier, you know, psychedelics don't inherently make you a better leader. You know, some of these people are just going to get like more inflated. And so again, it's like, 
you know, maybe combined with like a 10 day Vipassana and a spiritual mentor and, you know, like spiritual mentorship, I think could be right up there with, yeah. With like drinking ayahuasca, for example. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I agree. I agree. All right. So creative thinking and psychedelics. I know this is an area that you are particularly focused on. Was there any other Is there anything with the science that you're seeing with creativity and psychedelics that is exciting you that they're finding, whether it's like breakthroughs in creativity, thinking outside the box, like, is there science now backing psychedelic, psychedelics and creativity? Yes. Yes. Although it's not super prevalent yet, but definitely the, the, the trend that I'm noticing is well i'm also looking for it right so i dig a lot i do a lot of of research i read a lot of journals there is starting to become more of an interest in the psychedelic space Mm -hmm. and so you know there is one i interviewed manesh gurn he's a psychedelic neuroscientist he co-authored a paper with dr robin card harris who's you know very well known in the in the in the field of psychedelic research who i just you know have the biggest crush on because he's just like the coolest guy ever and and so they wrote a paper called what's it called? Uh, New frameworks of thought, creativity and psychedelics. What's it called? Adopting, updating, updating, updating the dynamic framework of thought, creativity and psychedelics. Mm -hmm. And so that was actually the paper that really sort of sealed the deal for me to go back Mm -hmm. to graduate school and get a degree and a master's in science in creativity so that I could also contribute towards creativity research. Mm -hmm. There is starting to be more, there's uh, another there's another study with ayahuasca showing that increases divergent thinking, which is a, a sort of a hallmark of, of the thinking process. Mm-hmm. But beyond the research, beyond that, what we can say is when we understand the neuroscience of creativity, for example, and we understand the neuroscience of what's happening with, with the psychedelic experience, there's definitely some, some parallels that we can start drawing some conclusions that we can start drawing upon. Yeah. And, and when we start looking at, for example, the reason that psychedelics are so efficacious for treating depression, PTSD, addiction, and anxiety, we can actually draw a lot of the similar conclusions that make a very, very strong case for why psychedelics are also efficacious for helping us to think outside the box. Mm -hmm. So for example, when we think about addiction or depression, it's ruminative thinking. Think about being like a hamster in a wheel, round, 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 over and over again. And psychedelics give us this moment where we can step outside that, we can choose a new thought. So there's a lot of different analogies, like shaking the the neural Mm -hmm. snow globe, like in Michael Pollan's book, you know, he references this analogy of like the hill getting covered in snow and it's easier for the sled to choose a new path. The reason that that makes that very effective for treatment of depression is also what helps quote unquote healthy normals, you know, because a lot of the population is in not like clinical depression, but we're in just like, we all have habits, habits of mind, habits of body, habits of belief. And when we start looking at sort of the one really brilliant definition of creativity that I love by Arthur Kostler says, creativity is the defeat of habit by originality. And so (laughs) similar parallels, so very similar parallels. And that's what psychedelics help us do. So when we start looking at another person to to cite is Alison Gopnik, who Michael Pollan referenced in the book, Mm -hmm. she talks about the difference between spotlight consciousness and lantern consciousness. Michael Pollan discusses this and children are kind of in lantern consciousness. And it's really amazing to see that certain ages of children can solve creative problems faster than adults because they don't have enough like predetermined. So when we start getting into models of the brain, like predictive coding, for Mm -hmm. example, we can start seeing that a lot of what we experience in the present is determined by our past experience. And so children don't have enough past experience to say, oh, that's not going to work. They're kind of wide open and they'll just okay. reach for anything. Yeah. So we call that lantern consciousness. And we, and we also call that they're reaching for hot searches rather than cold searches, like low hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about, you know, how can we leverage psychedelics to help us think more creatively? You know, I was just having a conversation with Dennis McKenna about this the other day. And we were, we had a lot of, you know, similar sentiment around this, that when you go into the psychedelic experience, you have all these wild and crazy ideas. We're not necessarily saying like, oh, you're going to figure out the problem or, you know, come up with the genius idea. Maybe you're going to have an aha moment 
an ayahuasca ceremony mm-hmm. or with psilocybin, very possible. Yeah. But even if you don't, even if you have a hundred wild and crazy ideas that I am making the case that that is actually very beneficial for the days and weeks and months to come, because you're literally training your mind mm. to go for something radical and yeah. radically different. And that is the definition of creativity. We're yeah. starting to connect dots between different areas that we didn't really ever think to connect. So, you know, I've been training for a year now in advanced creative problem solving facilitation for teams. One of the things that we do in an opening is it's like a radical brainstorming. That's something that's very out out of the box. So, you know, and this is working with professionals and still the way that you open up a brainstorming session besides all of the covering the basics is by doing something that's going to shake up your mind. So we'll say something like, what might be all the ways that you can entice an elephant out of a tub, out of a bathtub? Like, so it's something very random. It's actually very psychedelic, you know? And so it, and the reason that you do that at the start of an advanced creative problem solving session is so that you're, you're loosening your grip over rigid. This is the box. You have to think in this box and psychedelics by definition, they move us into lantern consciousness. They allow us to have novel insights that and connect new dots we know so for example other research in psychedelic space especially with ayahuasca increased thought speed increased pattern recognition these are all things that help us think more creatively Mm. i mean there's so many things that we can start drawing those conclusions and that's basically what i'm doing in my research and the the, by I'm, i'm really piecing the landscape together And also looking at, you know, I've been interviewing a bunch of people for my book as well and looking at stories like Carrie Mullis or yeah, Carrie Mullis won the Nobel prize for the polymerase polymerase chain reaction, PCR. And he openly attributed that insight to LSD. So when we go back to the beginning of the conversation, when we start talking about set, like if you don't work in mathematics, the chance that you're going to have a mathematical breakthrough aha moment in a psychedelic journey, (laughs) that's not part of your set. It's not, so your intellectual base is actually a big part, but you can learn to leverage that base by going on these, these journeys and referencing Manesh Gurn and Robin Card Harris's paper updating the dynamic framework of thought, creativity, and psychedelics, what they were pointing to was that we need to start thinking differently about the creative problem-solving process. And this is parallels what we Mm -hmm. learn in school. Goes into divergent thinking, exploring wide range of ideas, and then convergent thinking. Okay, what about this idea? So we have to go through these experiences of like opening and closing, opening and closing. That's why research also shows that you don't get your best ideas when you're sitting at your desk. You get your best ideas when you're out on a walk. Yeah. The moment you put it away, you let your mind wander. So I, what I'm doing in my research and piecing all of these pieces together that actually make a very compelling case for why psychedelics can help support the creative problem-solving process and more beyond that, how we can leverage what we know to help increase the efficaciousness of that for for teams, for individuals, for entrepreneurs, because for example, I'll pull in like another paper that I interviewed Dr. Balder Ornheim. He wrote a, a very foundational paper on how, if you understand the neuroscience of creativity, that that will actually make you more creative in your thinking process. If you understand the underlying neural mechanisms for which creativity works, you can leverage that understanding to be more effective in that process. And so I'm taking that same thinking. Let's leverage the, the, what we know about the psychedelic science. Let's leverage what we know about creativity. Let's leverage what we know about leadership. And let's combine that with preparation and integration. And let's build the foundation so that I can shape the set, you know, that we can embody the, the mindset. But it's beyond just mindset. Our attitudes, our beliefs. Yeah codifying breakthrough, codifying transformation. If we really put a magnifying glass on the process of transformation, can we leverage that and pay more attention to it so that that's what we amplify and that's what we focus on in the process of change? Wow. I can see why you're so excited by it. Just listening to you, I'm just so excited by by the potential of what we can learn and understand about this. The idea that we are need to learn how to problem solve again, to find other creative solutions on actually how to problem solve is so exciting and exactly so 
perfectly aligns with the times that we need right now. We need new types of thinking. We need new ways of, you know, we're, we've been using the term think outside the box, but quite literally, like if we look around at the world, we need help on a lot of things. I mean, honestly, on, on the systemic level across the board, it's not working, you know, like there's so much not working <laughs> on, on every aspect of the world. You know, I remember when the whole COVID thing happened, everyone's like, can it just go back to how it was? I'm like, I mean, was it good? Was right. it working for everyone? Like when we're talking about the really big problems and, you know, I'm even, even thinking about like world problems, poverty and, you know, what's happening with the climate and all of that. Like we need different type of problem solving right now, different type of leaders, which it sounds like are being made conscious leaders, people that are thinking in ways that I don't, I don't have the answer to it now because it, I feel like it's, it's still being birthed right now. But I think this is this new consciousness that's coming in, this new wave of light and energy that's coming onto this planet that is helping us shift into, to me, what I think is going to be a, a world that works better for everyone. And I think we are going to get there. And I think we're going to mm. get there because of people like you that are thinking in this way, mm. that are doing work like this. And all of the psychedelic science that's going on and everything that people are looking at the big problems now and trying to shift it beyond looking beyond what the systems that are already there and trying to just put little, you know, trying to do like little amendments. Like we, we don't need amendments. We need an overhaul of thinking mm -hmm. to create the type of change. I think that we're all going to benefit from eventually. So thank you for the work you're doing. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Kat. Thanks for the work that you're doing too. Thank Way to go so for much. it. Thank you. Laura, I was just going to say, where can people find you? But you know what? You're going to be back <laughs> online. They're going to be back online for sure. At least they could check you on your website for sure. Where can they find you there? Yeah. So my, my main home base is livefreelauraD.com. I'm actually in the process. I'm going to be separating out the, the psychedelic leadership brand under its own website where I host the podcast mm -hmm. episodes and the mastermind program and, and some of the, the work that I do there and the retreat psychedelic leadership retreats. I'm, I'm so ready to be doing in-person work again. I'm yeah. really missing. I'm re really missing retreat facilitation in a big way. And I can't wait. You know, I was, I'm happy that I, I am waiting because it still feels a little uncertain right now with the, you know, just different waves of COVID. But my my home base is livefreelauraD.com. Normally I'm on Instagram at livefreelauraD, but we'll see. You'll and, be back. Um, You'll be back. Yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that they reinstate my account and are like one big, oh, we are so sorry. That was one big mistake, but we'll see. And then, you know, my baby is the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. And so please, please check that out and uh, tune into that. I definitely encourage everyone to check out Laura's podcast. If this wasn't illuminating for you, I don't know what would be. So definitely check it out. It has been so much fun, Laura, speaking to you again. Thank you so much. And for everyone, as always, trip on this. <laughs>